0: James Salver were there helping him. He heard that this young man, who was on the Atlantic coast, was needing him. He did not mind paying out approximately $500 for railroad fare and Pullman accommodation to get to the Atlantic coast to fulfill his promise to that young minister. When the first service commenced, in the afternoon, there were just six people present, not counting his own party, in large auditorium that would accommodate 5,000 people. It was not a very encouraging start. But before the campaign concluded the audiences were filling that huge place, and that young man got his chance to start new assembly his zeal sustained him in tropical heat, when he was surrounded by hordes of flies, which hovered around the children with pus-filled eyes, and in the stench of crowds of men and women suffering from nauseating tropical diseases. He could be equally zealous in I see Norway or Finland, preaching, and praying for the sick. While one interpreter after another had to drop out owing to fatigue he was frequently told, you cannot hold three meetings a day in this city, the people will not turn out, and even if they do, that is too much for any preacher. But he would hold his three meetings a day, and the people would turn out to hear him, and he would survive such an ordeal for a month at time. Even in the biggest tent meetings, and under the most trying condition, he maintained his vigor week after week. He proved that the Lord's yoke is easy, and his burden is light. He delighted to do God's will. His meat was to do the work he believed God had given him, and to fulfill his ministry. The joy of the Lord sustained him all through his life. He put in more work on Sundays than on any other day. For a number of years he would be in the open-air preaching service until late on Saturday night. He would follow this up with a prayer meeting. But he would be up early on Sunday morning to put things in order at the church for the day's meetings. In the winter time he would attend to the heating of the building, do much of the dusting, of the seats, praying over each one, as he dusted it, arrange the table for the communion service, and lead the early morning prayer meeting. In the early days, his wife did most of the preaching as well, as entertaining the many folk who constantly filled their home. The Sunday night service always found needy souls and bodies at the altar, and usually it was very late at night, before the Wigglesworths got home. After that. The fellowship would continue in the house around a well-filled table until long past midnight our great heart and his wife were model spiritual parents, not only bringing converts to birth but nursing and feeding them on the Word of God and laboring in prayer that each one might stand complete in all the will of God. Their practical Christianity as well as their precepts, their combination of holy life and godliness, have been the incentive and mainspring to many a young life as he started on his work for God. Christian workers from all over the world praise God, for the inspiration, that these lives have given them Mr. Salper says, untiring, and indefatigable all through his life, it was only a short time, before he died that we noticed any change, and that he made any reference to his age. He arrived home from a convention, where he had worked very hard, unusually hard, even for him. We noticed his tired look when we met him at the railway station. That evening in our prayer time he said, I cannot understand some of these young preachers these days. Fancy a man of my age preaching three times a day, and praying for the sick at each service. Some of them will take the afternoon off and go to bed, leaving me to preach. When I was their age I would preach all the day, and then pray, and tarry all night with those who were seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thus he wrought with labor and travail night and day, and he labored till the going down of the sun. Chapter 8 Miracles in Australia and New Zealand was in the early part of 1922 that our great heart made his first visit to Australia we quote from letter, which appeared in the English paper, Confidence, written by Miss Winnie Andrews of Victoria, our dear brother Wigglesworth arrived in Melbourne last Thursday, and he had a meeting that night. And although he made it quite plain and clear to his hearers that he would rather see one sinner saved than 10,000 people healed of bodily ailments, he invited any who were in pain to come forward for prayer. Among those who came forward were several who later declared they had received remarkable and instantaneous healings. One little girl, six years of age, after prayer by the evangelist, was seen walking out at the front door of the building with her mother, who was delightedly exclaiming to all and sundry, look at her. She has never walked in her life before. A man who had not walked for over four years, owing to rheumatoid arthritis, was instantly healed, and after triumphantly passing his stick and crutch up to the platform, gave an impromptu exhibition of the power that had come into his legs by jumping and leaping and praising God. Since the first night there have been many other wonderful healings. Last night a dear woman who had been unable to walk for six and a half years was brought to be prayed for, and glory to God. She got out of her chair and walked. Her husband pushed her chair along while she walked behind. There have been many conversions at one meeting alone. Forty accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The revival showers are falling and God is working. Some may ask the very reasonable question, do the healings last? We have before us a sheaf of testimonies of healings that were prepared 15 months after our great S visit to Australia. In it there are 18 testimonies of remarkable healings in this first Australian campaign. We have also a copy of the Australian Evangel of February I, 1927, in which there are 13 testimonies of people who were healed in this campaign that was held 5 years before. We have also a copy of the Australian Evangel of March I, 1927, which contains the story of one who was raised from a living death 5 years before. The testimony is so remarkable that we will let it speak for itself. It is written by Mrs. W. E. Brickhill, me Kathleen Day of Victoria, at the age of 17 years, from a life of worldliness and sin, I received the Lord Jesus Christ, as my own personal Savior, being truly born again. It was a wonderful morn when I awakened with the consciousness, that I had passed from death unto life, from the power of sin and Satan, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. However, After sixteen months of unmarred service for the Lord, an unfortunate accident occurred which caused serious injury to my abdomen, and brought on internal complications, necessitating consultation between four surgeons, who advised that an operation was imperative. The operation did not have the desired effect, and, to my sorrow, proved unsuccessful, laying the foundation for nearly fourteen years of continual suffering, the major portion of which time I was confined to bed. Later it was discovered that consumption, with all its cruel and devastating ravages had gripped my entire being. This terrible disease wrought havoc with my constitution, causing sleeplessness for days and nights, at a stretch. It got rest only when drugs were administered, and eventually my condition became such that drugs had no effect other than to cause a comatose state. All the symptoms of tuberculosis were evident, eating into my internal organs and having the effect of destroying my appetite entirely. The condition of my digestive organs was such that I refused almost all food, and invariably the little food partaken of was vomited immediately. Sometimes it was not possible to retain even a drink. Many leading specialists, surgeons, and physicians prescribed without effect, in fact, many times they vouchsafed the opinion that my end was very near, and that there was nothing more to be done. The deadly work of this disease was manifested to a very great extent upon my kidneys, which were perforated, and hemorrhage was very frequent. Outward evidence of the disease appeared in my left arm, thigh, and hip, all of which presented the usual discharging sores connected with this malady. These parts of the limbs were so severely attacked that they presented an emaciated appearance, being repulsive to the sight, the bone being eaten into, a condition undoubtedly beyond all human aid. Having been reduced nearly to a skeleton, weighing only 42 pounds, and being told by physicians that six weeks was the extent of my life, I was not fearful of my fate, as it seemed to me that death would relieve me of all my sufferings. While lying in this dying condition early in February, 1922, a ray of light entered my soul through word coming to me that an evangelist from England was holding meetings in our city of Melbourne and was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and His power to heal the sick. This evangelist was Smith Wigglesworth, and it was stated that he would pray for the sick. As the news was conveyed to me, I began to receive faith in God, and expressed a desire that he should come and pray for me at my home, but learned that there were so many demands upon the evangelist as time prayer for me at my home was impossible. The news caused the enemy to discourage me, but, praise the Lord, further faith being received, and being desperately anxious for victory, my parents were consulted. After much pleading to be allowed to be taken into one of the meetings, they reluctantly consented. Therefore, on February sixteenth, as a very last resort, in my awful condition, I was assisted into one of the Sunday meetings. As the meeting progressed, my faith began to rise, and truly I realized the nearness of God. It was a hallowed time indeed. At length the evangelist was directed towards me, and on ascertaining that it was a consumptive case, he spoke sincerely to me and said, Sister, I believe the Lord will heal you. Fear not, only believe. My eyes saw no man save Jesus, I waited for His divine touch. After being anointed, and prayed for, the power of God permeated my whole being, and I was instantly healed. All the pain, weakness, and disease ceased. Hallelujah! My chains fell off. My soul was free, I arose, and went forth praising God, realizing a mighty work was done. Immediately after the Lord met me, my first desire was to hasten home and tell how great things had been accomplished in me even, on my return journey I bore testimony of the fact by being able to walk unaided. On arrival at home I acquired a ravenous appetite for food, an unheard of occurrence with me for years. Our household was filled with anxiety for my well-being, as they watched me appease my hunger, fearing all the natural consequences, from taking food would return, but to their amazement, I thoroughly enjoyed a hearty meal with satisfaction. After dinner, with assistance, the bandages were removed from the affected parts of my body. It was found that the Lord had replaced decayed bone, and ulcerated flesh with new, beautifully healthy flesh and bone covered with white skin similar to that of a little child. All my senses became quickened, and that night I was able to enjoy a beautiful night's rest, the first natural sleep, since the time I became sick. It is now five years since the Lord has hand so definitely rested upon me, and He has continuously overshadowed me with His presence and filled me with His spirit. The Lord provided work for me to do in His vineyard soon after He healed me as a sister in the slum life of our city, where through His wonderful grace many souls have been won for Him along with me in this work is my husband, whom the Lord gave me in a wonderful way three years ago. It is my sincere desire. That my evidence of the power of God to heal will be used to help some soul and doubt to believe God, and find, that he is faithful to his word, that all things are possible to him that believe with, Mark 9 23, and Jesus Christ the same yesterday, and today, and forever, Heb. 13:8. 8. We received a letter at that time from W. Buchanan, a Christian worker at Melbourne, concerning the Wigglesworth campaign, in that city, we had three glorious weeks of triumphant victory, in the Melbourne meetings. Fully 1,000 souls were converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and many scores were healed. In fact, the testimonies of those healed are still continuing to come in after being a great blessing in many parts of Australia. Our great heart moved on to New Zealand. The following is a letter that was received from E. E. Pennington, Chairman, of the New Zealand Evangelical Mission of Wellington, in June, 1922, Smith Wigglesworth came to Wellington little known to any of us there was no flourishing of trumpets to herald his advent a few small advertisements in the local press announced his meetings. About 1000 attended his first meeting on Sunday evening, and the night following this number was increased by about 500 to 600. From then on it was impossible to secure buildings large enough to accommodate the crowds, and the large town hall, seating 3,000, was packed every evening. On some occasions the crowd waited for hours about the doors, before the commencement of the meetings rather than be denied the opportunity of hearing the man, and his message. Never had the writer witnessed such scenes, as followed the presentation of the word of God, by the spirit-filled man. Although he has been associated with such mighty evangelists, as Tory, Chapman, and others in part of their New Zealand campaigns. On every occasion when an appeal was made for the unconverted to decide for Christ, the response was immediate and great, sometimes as many as 400 to 500 responding in a meeting. Over 2,000 made the great decision during the mission in Wellington, in some cases whole families entered the Kingdom of God. Some newspaper reports were not very friendly. We have before us, however, a special write-up which appeared in one newspaper, under the heading, Do you believe in faith healing? The article begins, Of course you don't that is to say, you don't believe in what you have never seen. But perhaps you have seen, and been puzzled, as I have been. Then again, perhaps you have seen, and not been puzzled, but, instead, have been converted. A good many have been converted in Wellington recently. Some went with open minds, some did not, but went to scoff and remained to pray. Whether you believe, or you don't believe, the subject of faith healing is one of intense interest. Witness the thousands who assembled to hear and see Mr. Smith Wigglesworth at the town hall. The interest thus evidenced encouraged me to follow the matter up a little. I have before me a number of affidavits. They are those of Wellington citizens who presented themselves for healing before Mr. Smith Wigglesworth on his recent visit here. The affidavits are genuine, they were sworn before Mr. C. A. Baker, J.P., and they speak for themselves. I have omitted the names, but the originals were left for inspection at the Dominion office, as a guarantee of their genuineness. Then there follow five affidavits. The first is that of a dairyman, who has suffered from chronic gastritis and paralysis of both legs from the hips downwards, and could only drag along with crutches. When the evangelist, after anointing him with oil, asked for his crutches, he gave them to him, and walked home. He states that for fourteen years he had desist on the back of his neck, and had often spoken to doctors about removing it. It was the size of an ordinary aness egg. The morning after his healing, when he awoke he found that the cyst had completely disappeared. One of these testimonies is from a girl twenty years of age who, since infancy has suffered from double curvature of the spine. She could not walk till she was four years of age and could never rise off the floor without pulling herself up with both hands. One leg was three inches shorter than the other and was almost useless, being three inches less in circumference than the other. She persuaded her parents to take her to the town hall. There the evangelist placed his hands on her head, and on her spine, and she was instantly healed. My spine was straightened, and in a few days my leg lengthened. My hip, which was diseased, is well also. The Sunday following my healing I was so eager to attend the mission, that, as there was no train, I walked all the way from Nolo, to the hall, and back, and felt no ill effect whatever. After giving the five testimonies the reporter says, there are several other affidavits of a similar nature, but space will not permit of their publication. Now what do you think of it? Do you believe in faith healing? Or are you still in the ranks of the skeptics? In 1927 our great heart was back in Australia and New Zealand. This time his daughter Alice Mrs. James Salver accompanied him. He held fruitful campaigns in a great many cities. The word was confirmed with signs following. The two following remarkable stories speak for themselves. They both appeared in the Australian Evangel of April 1, 1927 period. Miss H. Todd of Nareme Byrne, NSW, testified, While engaged in my occupation as nurse in Sydney I met with a serious accident, fracturing the kneecap and displacing the internal cartilage, which resulted in synovitis and arthritis, chronic. I had the best medical skill both in Sydney and Orange, without any permanent relief. I was just up for a while and then back to bed again, and so on for 18 months, and long weary months they were, especially when after about 14 months, I had the misfortune to rupture the fibers of the muscles of the other leg, which resulted in having a lap for 6 weeks. The pain at times was most severe. I was a real invalid with no prospect of ever being able to follow my profession again. Being otherwise perfectly healthy, it was hard to look into the future with both legs crippled, to be dependent upon others to look after and keep me how blind I was, for since being invalided to orange I had lived among folk who believed and tried to get me to listen to the scriptural teaching of divine healing, but I thought differently. Truly the Bible did tell of wonderful things in bygone days, but to me those days were gone and things were different now. There was great talk of Evangelist Smith Wigglesworth, but I was not interested. After the evangelist had begun his mission, which would only last five days, my brother, together with others, spoke most convincingly to me about the reality of the teaching of the Scriptures on divine healing, and though I had been adverse to it right up till then, I went to my Bible again, and, being like the prodigal son, at the end of myself, I too was led to say, I will arise, and go to my Father. And, praise the dear Lord, what blessings he had waiting to bestow upon me I had been a Christian many years. But I had to be awakened before I could hear his voice, and have him anoint my eyes. While reading the scripture I was arrested by the words, One thing you know, that, whereas I was blind, now I see, John 9 25. This kept running through my mind all day Friday and Saturday, also the words of God, I am the Lord, I change not. So persistently did these scriptures keep coming to me that I made up my mind to go that night to the mission for prayer. On one leg I had to steel and leather apparatus to keep the knee joint, from locking and pinching, which caused intense pain, and the other was in tight bandages. With the aid of a pair of crutches I got out to the car to be taken to the meeting, and though suffering intensely, I believed I would be healed. After the address I joined with those who were to be ministered to, and, as the evangelist laid his hands on me, and prayed I had a strange yet beautiful experience, as though cold water with great force was being sprayed in jets upon both of my afflicted members, where they were injured. So strong seemed to be the force that it even hurt me, and knew it was the Lord, but on turning to go away I didn't feel any better, and expressed disappointment to two, or three. All the way home I wept copiously, and poured out my heart to God, and continued to say, Lord, I believe, help out my unbelief. Arriving home, I was helped out of the car, and after walking a few steps, said that I thought I could walk alone. Just as I reached the threshold of the door, a wall of bright shining light confronted me, so exceedingly bright that it almost staggered me, and instantly I cried out, Glory to God, I am healed, and truly I was. I went through the house praising the Lord, and up and down the back veranda, glorifying God, and walking, as I did before meeting with the accident. Seeing the crutches, I said, Take those back to the kind friend, that loaned them to me I shall not want them any more. So the crutches were returned just before midnight. Hallelujah! On rising next morning I discarded the steel and leather support, and the bandages, and have never touched them since, for I was made every whit hole. Two days later I was sweetly baptized in the Holy Spirit according to Acts 2-4. My Bible means more to me now than ever before. I now see my Lord as my Savior from sin, the great Physician, the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost, and the one who is coming for His Bride very soon. The other testimony is from Mrs. M. Legate Bottle, Orange, N.S.W., Genesis 24, 27 I being in the way, the Lord led me seems to be the best explanation of God's verse blessings to me five weeks ago. How I did want to go home. My poor heart was in such a state, past all human aid, even the casing was ruptured so that the least move would cause a lump to protrude like an egg. For sixteen weeks I just lay prostrate, and how lovely it was to feel so near home so often almost through the pearly gates, how real the dawning of that eternal day was to me, and how I just longed to enter right and I was so bent on going home, to glory that when asked if I would like to have Evangelist Wigglesworth pray for me, if I should be here when he came, I said an emphatic no, and I certainly meant it. Such a band of dear friends were praying for me everywhere that I just felt I wanted no more, my mind and my hopes were all centered on things above and not on things here below. How little did I know what wondrous blessings there were here below that I had not even tasted of, that my dear loving Saviour wanted me to experience before I should pass through the pearly gates, and how graciously did he work to bring it to pass. Brother Wigglesworth was not expected here for nearly two months, when suddenly dates were altered, and he arrived almost without warning. Of course, this did not concern me, for my fellow invalid, Sister Todd, whose testimony is also given in this chapter, and it had made up our minds, that we weren't he going to have anything to do with the mission of the evangelist how true are the lord's words my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the lord isaiah 55 8 to 11 as the mission went on my friend who was adverse to the teaching of divine healing began to search the scriptures afresh to see if these things that were being taught and which were confidently affirmed by numbers around who believed were so she became so convinced of the truth of god who said I am the Lord, I change not, that she came into my room saying she intended going to the mission for the laying on of hands and prayer. That night I saw her making her way out on her crutches to the car in great agony, and somehow I felt in myself that she would be healed. After her return she came skipping down the steps to my room, like the man of old leaping, and praising God, and saying, Sister, I am healed, I am healed, and so she was, perfectly and completely. Hallelujah. It was wonderful. All that night I prayed, and sought the Lord, and then came the thought, How could I face my dear Lord, whom I loved with all my heart, if I just slipped home, having refused to prove whether he wanted me to do any more little corner-filling for him, when before my eyes he had wrought such a miracle. In the morning, the closing day of the mission, I was waiting for someone to come down to my room, to ask them if they would take a message to Brother Wigglesworth, and see if he would come and pray for me after the morning service, After breakfast I could hear the dear ones of the house holding a prayer meeting, but as they had closed the door I could not hear what was taking place. How I was longing for someone to come in to take my message, but no, time was getting on, and how I pleaded with the Lord. Could it be that they were all too much occupied with their own blessings and were unmindful of me? I questioned. Oh no, but because I had said no so decisively they would not ask me again, and they were all asking the Lord to constrain me to ask for prayer. Presently different ones came into my room, but did not look at me or give me the usual smile and kind word. I asked each if they would take my message, and not until I had made the request five times did to get a promise, that they would. I had said no once, but had to say yes five times. How long it seemed before that morning service was over, but at last, in came the matron, face beaming, and said, He has come. I vaguely remember seeing a man step into the room, and after that saw no man but Jesus only, How sweetly does the dear Lord manifest himself. The evangelist told his daughter, Mrs. Salper, to put her hands on my knees, and he put his on my head, and prayed a wonderful prayer, wonderful to me, because I was right in glory. Then he laid his hands on my heart, and prayed for my healing, at the same time rebuking death, and commanding it to be dashed away in Jesus' name. When he first came in he said, Are you ready to get up? I said, Yes, I am, and now he said, Get up, and up I got. My inability to even move just a few minutes before was entirely forgotten. One thought only seemed to possess me, and that was to get dressed as quickly as possible. I rushed across the foot and lifted down two heavy suitcases filled with books in order to get to where I could find some clothing. I was in such a hurry, I wanted to be dressed ready to greet my girls of my Bible class, who used to flock in after church just to have a peep at me in the afternoon before I had lain semi-conscious for hours, and those who saw me then thought perhaps it was the last look, and here I was trying to find clothes to let them see me every whit hole. I was just ready when the door opened, and a number of them were admitted, and what a shock they got. Some wept, some laughed, then wept, they hugged me, then would think of my heart, and let go, but it was all right. I was healed perfectly, and completely, and felt no weakness, after my sixteen weeks in bed, when I had eaten scarcely anything. All the while I had lain there I was neither hungry nor thirsty, and would take little sips just to oblige those who brought it to me. Now I wanted my dinner, and a good dinner I had. I was changed. A new creation, just filled with God, divinely healed, raised up in a moment, from the shadow of death to abounding life saved to serve the day following my healing it was gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit according to Acts 2:4, and daily and hourly he fills me with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Chapter 9 visits to Switzerland and Sweden in the year 1920 our great heart labored for six months in different parts of Europe. He ministered for a short while in France, and then went on to Switzerland. The following account of his labors is part of an address given by Madame de Bat of Paris, who acted as his interpreter in France, and in French Switzerland at Chaters, in the French Alps we had a convention. Four ministers came to spy out the land in order to speak against this work of God. But all four are now convinced that this Pentecostal work is truly of God. One cried out, I am under an open heaven. A wagon drawn by oxen grew up at the meeting house, containing a man on a stretcher, who had come some distance with faith to be healed. He was suffering with cancer of the stomach, and could not eat. In the wagon was a basket of provisions. He was asked what they were for, as he could not eat anything. He replied, No, I cannot eat, but I am going to be healed, and I shall consume these provisions on the return journey. He had simple faith, and of course God met him. I asked one woman going out of the meeting, Are you healed? She replied, Of course I am healed. There were several cases of deafness healed. In one case the bone had been scraped, and the drum disappeared, but she heard perfectly at Laos and was a man born blind. His wife was tubercular and in a terrible condition. She heard of the meetings and she asked her husband if he could exercise faith for healing. He answered her sarcastically and with obvious unbelief. But they came to the meeting and both were saved, healed, and baptized. Their very countenances changed for the woman had previously had a terribly hard face. The man's case is a case of slow recovery, but his eyesight is coming little by little. There was another man suffering from deafness and rupture. He thought he could not ask for deliverance from two things so asked for the deafness to go. He was healed of both his troubles. There was a child who had a new eye given to him, also a woman nearly blind was healed, also there were numbers of cases of lame people, who left their sticks behind at Veal. three were healed of consumption, one a girl of nineteen, who was in a dying condition, and having severe hemorrhages. God has greatly blessed her. She has received the baptism, and gives such a sweet testimony at V.V., there was a brother named Zand. He was always hungry and thirsty after God, and going wherever he thought he could learn more of him. He was among the open brethren. He said, I am not satisfied that I have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion. I lack something. When he made this statement his brethren thought he was a heretic and told him to clear out. He said, That is what I am going to do. He came and was baptized in the Spirit. Here there is a band of fine young men and they have good open air meetings. Four of them went up the mountain and began to pray. Some passers-by began to stone them. They went deeper into the wood, and prayed, until morning all four receiving the baptism, in the Holy Spirit at Morgus we had a convention. A man was brought in a wheelchair, who had not walked for several years. His healing was just like that of the man at the beautiful gate. He leaped, and jumped, and he walked home followed by a boy wheeling the chair, and a crowd of boys, who all knew that he had been healed. Another was healed of a nervous breakdown. He went to a doctor who told him to go and return thanks, because he was cured at Geneva 300 came out for salvation. God blessed in a similar way in the part of Switzerland, where German is spoken at neuchâtel God marvelously moved. One who had a wonder F.U.L. baptism repeated all the sermon on the mount. Another, under the inspiration of the Spirit, spoke Italian and German, whereas French is the language spoken in New Chattel Speaking of his visit to Switzerland, our great heart says that it was wonderful to see the Spirit of God brooding over the people, as he spoke through an interpreter. A woman with a cancer on her nose, and the upper part of her face, came forward to be prayed with. He had her stand right in front of the people, and said to them, Look at her. She will be here tomorrow night, and you will see what God has done for her. He prayed for her, and she left the meeting. The next night she came back, and it was seen that the cancer had gone, and there was new skin on her face. There was another case of a woman whose face was in a terrible condition through some disease she had contracted. She was prayed for. And the next day she appeared with an entirely new skin, and she had a radiant complexion. A young man came to the meeting to ridicule, but he was stricken down and could not speak. Wigglesworth commanded the evil spirit to come out of him and he was loosed. At another meeting three insane people were sent and put in the front row with a view to creating a disturbance. Wigglesworth, in the name of Jesus, commanded the demons to keep quiet, and there was no further trouble one day. When he was in Switzerland two policemen were sent to arrest him on a warrant that he was healing the people without a license. They went to the house of the minister of a Pentecostal assembly at Godeville. He said to them, Mr. Wigglesworth is away just now, but before you arrest him I would like to show you one result of his ministry in this place. He took the two policemen down to the lowest quarter in the town to the house of a woman whom they had arrested time and time again for drunken brawls, a woman who spent most of her time behind prison walls. This minister said, This woman came to one of our meetings in a state of drunkenness. While she was there in this condition, Mr. Wigglesworth laid his hands on her and asked God to deliver her. Her body was broken out in two places, with terrible sores, but God has healed her and delivered her from drunkenness. The woman spoke for herself and said to the policeman, God saved my soul at that time, and from that moment I have not had the slightest desire for liquor. The police officer said, We refuse to stop this kind of work. Somebody else will have to arrest this man. And nothing further came of it one day, in the city of New Chattel, a dentist, doctor. Emil Lance, came to the meeting. He thought in his heart, I believe this man is a fake. He is preaching divine healing, and yet he probably has a set of artificial teeth. After the meeting I will go up to him, and ask him to open his mouth. If his teeth are artificial I will expose him, as a deceiver. So at the end of the meeting, this dentist asked Wigglesworth to open his mouth for him to look at his teeth. He was amazed, as he later testified, to see the most perfect set of teeth that he had ever seen in any mouth. Smith Wigglesworth had faith in God, that he would keep every one of his teeth, and the Lord preserved them so that he had all his own teeth at 87 years of age. Dr. Lance was convicted, and began to trust the Lord himself. Some years later, speaking in London, he said, We have seen great things in Switzerland in the past three years. And many new gatherings have been raised up in both French and German Switzerland, through the ministry of Mr. Smith Wigglesworth. Many, many of our people have received the great Pentecostal blessing of the baptism of the blessed Holy Ghost with signs following, and we are deeply grateful for this. Two years ago in Bern, we had only 15 to 20 coming to the meetings. Today we have a great gathering, and a beautiful hall. The young folk meet in the open air, and preach the glad tidings of deliverance from sin, and the baptism, in the Holy Ghost. Every Sunday night there is a great open-air meeting in the center of the town. Many have been saved, and healed, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Mr. Wigglesworth told us, in Switzerland I was put into prison twice. But praise God, I was brought out all right. One officer said to me, I find no fault with you. You have been a great blessing to us here in Switzerland. In the middle of one night they said to me, you can go. I said, no. I'll only go on one condition, that every officer in this place gets down on his knees, and I'll pray for you. A woman in New Chattel had suffered with turnouts in the kidneys for many years. She had had many doctors but they gave her no permanent relief. She went to a hospital in Bern, to be operated upon but the doctors found seven tumors, and said it was impossible to operate. She heard of the meetings and came to be ministered to. She fully recovered and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. She had the joy of giving her son, who was saved in the meetings and called of God, to go to the mission field in Congo-Belgian Africa-Danish Lady, Madame Litwini, who had formerly graced the stage in Denmark, but later became a missionary, rights of being with him in three months of campaigns in Sweden and Denmark. This is her record, it was a time of visitation from on high. I dare to say that hundreds of people received the Lord Jesus as their Savior, thousands were healed of all kinds of diseases, also thousands of people awoke to a new life, and many received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as on the day of Pentecost. For all this we give glory to the Lord Jesus. Here are a few examples of miracles my eyes have seen. I will begin with the first meeting I attended. It was in Orbro, Sweden. I came to seek help for myself, being worn out by long unbroken service in the Lord's work, On the second day there was a meeting for healing. After the preaching service hundreds of men and women came for a touch of God, and glory to God, we were not disappointed. As hands were laid upon me the power of God went through me in a wonderful way. I was immediately healed. It was wonderful to notice, as the ministry continued, the effect upon the people, as the power of the Lord came over them. Some lifted their hands crying, I am healed. I am healed. Some fell on the platform overpowered by the power of the Spirit, and had to be helped down. A young blind girl, as she was ministered to, cried out, Oh, how many windows there are in this hall! During the three weeks the meetings continued the great chapel was crowded daily, multitudes being healed, and many saved. The testimony meetings were wonderful. One said, I was deaf, they prayed, and the Lord healed me. Another, I had consumption, and I am free. And so on. At Skov the smaller hall was set apart for those seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did the Holy Spirit fall upon them? Of course he did. Here also many were healed. There was a young man whose body was spoiled because of sin, but the Lord is merciful with sinners. He was anointed, and when hands were laid upon him the power of God went marvelously over him. He cried, I am healed. He broke down and cried like a little child as he confessed his sin. At the same moment God saved him. He went into the large hayland testified that the Lord had saved him, and healed him. At Stockholm at nearly every meeting the crowds were unable to enter the building, but they waited off an hour an hour for a chance, if any left the building, to step into the place. He remained with two crutches, his whole body shaking with palsy, was lifted onto the platform. He was anointed and hands were laid upon him in the name of Jesus Christ. He continued to shake. Then he dropped one crutch, and after a short while the other one. His body still shook, but he took the first step, out in faith. He lifted one foot and then the other and walked around the platform. Then he walked around the auditorium. During this meeting a woman began a shout and shout. The preacher told her to be quiet, but instead she jumped on a chair, flourishing her arms about, and cried, I am healed. I had cancer in my mouth, and I was unsaved. But during this meeting as I listened to the word of God, the Lord has saved me, and healed me of cancer of the mouth. She shouted again, I am saved. It am healed of cancer. She was quite beside herself. The people laughed and cried together. Here was another woman unable to walk, sitting on a chair as she was ministered to. Her experience was the same as hundreds of the others. She rose up, looking around, wondering if after all it was a dream. Suddenly she laughed and said, My leg is healed. Afterwards she said, I am not safe, and streams of tears ran down her face. They prayed for her, and later she left the meeting healed and saved, and full of joy. In Christiania, now Oslo, a man, and his son came in a taxi to a meeting. Both had crutches. The father had been in bed two years, and was unable to put his leg to the ground. He was ministered to. He dropped both crutches, walked, and praised God. When the son saw this he cried out, Help me too, and after a little while father and son, without crutches, and without taxi, walked away from the hall together. At Copenhagen thousands daily attended the meetings. Each morning two or three hundred were ministered to for healing. Each evening the platform was surrounded. Again and again, as each throng retired, another company came forward seeking salvation. Here many were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The testimony meetings were wonderful. Our great heart wrote a letter from Christiania of the great crowds that flocked to the meetings. Thousands could not get in the large buildings that were taken for the campaign. He said. I ministered for over three hours to the sick, after preaching an hour, and a half. Many coming were helpless. Hundreds were healed. A great pile of crutches and sticks, and other helps have been left on the large platform. I ministered openly, and the crowds looked on, and shouted. The excitement was wonderful, as the blind saw, and the lame leaped. We are now in a place holding five thousand, and the people say it will be too small. One man was in the hospital, and asked permission to go to the meetings, and was refused. Then he decided to go and the doctors said, If you go, you will not come back. The man said, No, I shall not come back. After prayer, he was instantly healed and threw his crutches away. I tell you the thing is great and greater things are ahead for us only believe. Speaking afterwards of his work in Sweden, Mr. Wigglesworth said, When I was in Sweden the power of God was mightily upon me it was there that I was apprehended for preaching and for praying for the sick. The Lutheran churches and the doctors rose up like an army against me, and had special audience with the king to try to get me out of the country. It was in sweet in that I was escorted out by two detectives, and two policemen, because of the mighty power of God moving among the people. But beloved, it was lovely. One of the nurses in the king's household came, and was healed of a late like trouble I forget whether a broken thigh or a dislocated joint. She went to the king and said, I have been so wonderfully healed by this man. Do you know I am walking all right now? Yes, said the king, I know everything about him. Tell him to go. I do not want him turned out. If he goes out, he can come back, but if he is turned out he cannot come back. I thank God I was not turned out, I was merely escorted out. The Pentecostal people went to see the police to see if I could have a big meeting in the park on a Monday following Sunday, the anniversary of Pentecost. The police officer said, there is only one reason why we could refuse him, and it is on this line. If that man puts his hand upon the sick in the great park, it would take thirty more policemen to guard the situation. But if he will promise us that he will not lay his hands upon the people, then we will allow you to have the park. They came and asked me, and I said, promise them that I will fulfill their wishes. I knew that God was not limited to my laying hands on the people. When the presence of the Lord is there to heal it does not require the laying on of hands. Faith is the great operating factor. When we believe God, all things are easy. They built a platform where I could speak to thousands of people. I prayed and said, Lord, do you know the situation? You have never yet been in a fix where you could not handle the situation. Show me what can be done for this poor and needy people without having hands laid upon them. Show me. To the people I said, all of you that would like the power of God to go through you today healing everything, put your hands up. Thousands of hands went up. I sent up to cry, O Lord, show me, and he told me as clearly as anything to pick a person out that stood upon a rock. That park was a very rocky place. I told them to put their hands down except this person. To her I said, Tell all the people what are your troubles. She began to relate her troubles. From her head to her feet she was so in pain that she felt if she did not sit down nor lay down she would not be able to go on. I said to her, Lift your hands high. I then said, In the name of Jesus I rebuke the evil one from your head to your feet, and I believe God has loosed you. Oh, how she danced, and how she jumped, and how she shouted that was the first time that God had revealed to me that it was a very simple matter for him to heal without the laying on of my hands. I said to the sick people, Now each one lay hands on yourself, and when I pray God will heal you. We had hundreds healed that day, without my touching them and hundreds were saved. Our God is a God of mighty power. Oh, how wonderful, how glorious, and how fascinating it is that we can come into this royal palace of faith, and of power. We have a great God. We have a wonderful Jesus. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Chapter X His secret of spiritual strength Many will ask, had Smith Wigglesworth any spiritual secret? Wherein did his great strength lie? The two main factors in his spiritual life were these, his reliance upon the Spirit of God, and his confidence in the Word of God. These were the foundations of his holy audacity, and his constant boldness of action. He was pre-eminently a man of the Word just, as he was pre-eminently a man of the Spirit. He declared, Libraries make swelled heads, but the Word of God makes enlarged hearts. We are to have enlarged hearts, hearts filled with the fragrance of the love of God, that will show forth the life and power of the Lord. He said, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God not by reading commentaries. Faith is the principle of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, who inspired the Word, is called the Spirit of Truth, and, as we receive with meekness the engrafted Word, faith springs up in our hearts, faith in the sacrifice of Calvary, faith in the shed blood of Jesus, faith in the fact that He took our weaknesses upon Himself, that He has borne our sicknesses, and carried our pains, and that He is our life today. The Word of God is living, and powerful, and in its treasure you will find eternal life. If you will dare to trust this wonderful Lord of Life, you will find in Him everything you need. He frequently said, I have never read any book, but the Bible. A critic who heard him say this, wrote saying, How is it that this man, who says he has read no book, but the Bible has been guilty of writing a book? For we see his book, Ever Increasing Faith advertised in the columns of the Pentecostal Evangel. We wrote back to that good man and said, Smith Wigglesworth was not guilty of writing that book. It came into existence in this way, he came to Springfield, Missouri, in 1923, in the early days of a central Bible institute, Each morning he talked to the students, and each night he spoke to a large crowd at the convention hall. We took down these messages for the Pentecostal Evangel, and after they had appeared in that paper we asked the printers to hold the type. When sufficient messages were ready, we put them into a book. Smith Wigglesworth did not even read the copy. We are conscious that there are crudities in the book, but nevertheless God owned it, and has made it a blessing to the salvation and healing of a great many the world over the prophet Ezekiel received the word of the Lord, Open thy mouth, and eat that I give thee. He tells us, When I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, the roll of a book was therein. The Lord commanded, Son of man, eat, that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak. And the prophet said, So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. Again the Lord said, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that to give thee. Our great heart was continually eating the roll, and it was made alive in his inner being, so he would go, and speak with authority and faith to those to whom God sent him. His son-in-law, who was very often traveling with him says he was essentially a man of the Bible, and he never considered himself fully dressed without a copy of the Word of God in his pocket. He not only carried it, but he used it continually. While others might read novels or newspapers in railway cars, he read his Bible. On board various ships as he traveled, at the seaside, where occasionally he went for relaxation, or sitting in his favorite place, in the park near his home, his New Testament was constantly in his hand. He never left a friend table without reading a bit from the book, and usually his comments on it were choicer than any course in the meal. His constant advice to young people was, fill your head and your heart with the scriptures, Memorize passages from the word, with the name of the book, the chapter, and the verse, so that you can quote the scripture correctly in addresses, or in open air meetings. As you do this, you are sowing in your heart seeds which the Spirit of God can germinate. He can bring to your remembrance from, time to time, that which you have once memorized. You must be so soaked with the word of God, you must be so filled with it, that you yourself are a living epistle, known and read of all men. Believers are strong only, as the word of God abides in them. The Word of God is spirit and life to those who receive it in simple faith, and it is a vivifier of all who own its sway. Know your book, live it, believe it, and obey it. Hide God's Word in your heart. It will save your soul, quicken your body, and illumine your mind. The Word of God is full and final, infallible, reliable, and up-to-date, and our attitude towards it must be one of unquestioned obedience. If a thing is in the Bible it is so, it is not even to be prayed about, it is to be received and acted upon. Inactivity of faith is a rubber which steals blessing. Increase comes by action, by using what we have and what we know. Your life must be one of going from faith to faith. He constantly taught that the word of God must be implicitly obeyed. He repeatedly quoted the scripture, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience to him was a normal fruit of true faith. Because you dare to believe, you act in obedience. In addition to taking time each day to read the Word of God, our great heart learned the secret of often turning aside from the multitude and getting alone with God for a spiritual renewing. He became acquainted with a very godly minister who was one time visiting England and who carried with him an unusual degree of the presence of God. His preaching was plain and unadorned, but he took his hearers into conscious contact with the Lord. Many zealous souls sought to learn the secret of his power, but he was reluctant to tell them. However, After he had prayed about the matter, the Lord gave him liberty to tell those who inquired the secret of his deep, spiritual ministry. He said, Years ago the Spirit of God began to speak to me, but I was too busy to heed his voice. He persisted, until I commenced to go aside when he spoke so that I could hear what God the Lord had to say. This became my manner of life. I obeyed his pleading voice, until now, at the slightest breath of the Spirit, I leave everyone, and everything to be in his presence, to hear and to obey his word. Our great heart caught the vision of this godly minister, and with the word of God in his hand he could be otherwise engaged, completely in with God alone, in any crowd or company. His secret may have been a borrowed one, but it is now an open one to every devoted servant of God. One day he was traveling in a railroad car, when a mother and her daughter were boat stricken ill he told them that he had in his bag a remedy for every trouble, and that it never failed in the worst cases, in fact, it had never been known to fail where the conditions were met. He talked so much about what he had in his bag, that they pleaded for a dose of this wonderful universal remedy. He opened his bag, took out his Bible, and read the scripture, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And he prayed that they might have faith in this wonderful healer. In a short while both declared that they were healed. One time in the city of Cardiff in South Wales he prayed for a woman who was instantly healed. She came to the next meeting and testified with great joy what the Lord had done for her. She said, that she wanted to spread the truth that had been so beneficial to her, and asked our great heart for some tracts. He answered, The best tracts I know of unhealing are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are full of incidents of the power and working of Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. You cannot have anything better. One time he prayed for a young man, who was sick. After he had prayed, the young man said, Brother, I want to promise to stand on. Wigglesworth put his Bible on the ground, and said to the young man, Now stand on that. He stood on it, and was told, Now you are standing on a great heap of promises. Believe every one of them. Previous to the year 1907, the year he received the Pentecostal baptism, the Holy Spirit figured constantly in his experience and teaching, but from that time forward a new epoch began in his life. He relied implicitly upon the Holy Spirit for every phase of his ministry. He certainly sought to live in the Spirit, and to be led by the Spirit. The gift of tongues was a priceless treasure to him and many times every day his heart went out in love and adoration to God, not in the defiled languages of earth, but in the Holy Spirit-given language of love that God had graciously given him. He found that the speaking in tongues was always a source of spiritual edification. He lived that scripture in Jude 20, Beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and he also lived that scripture, praying always with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. James Salter says of his preaching, how often, metaphorically speaking, he built up the altar of God, and got ready to sacrifice, and then God sent the fire, and consumed the offering, thus consummating his efforts. He certainly searched the scriptures and prayed day and night to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But it was the breath of God, the unction from heaven, and the person and power of the Holy Spirit, that made him what he was. He knew it, and jealously guarded this deposit. We have heard him say, I am nothing apart from the Holy Spirit, and he certainly was not another secret of his power was that he was constantly moved with compassion. He saw that the source of Christ's mightiest miracles was his wonderful compassion. Tears would stream from his eyes as he beheld the sin-scarred souls, and the sickness-wrecked bodies. He burned in his zeal to under the works of the devil, and was positively aggressive, as he tried to emulate his master, in going about doing good, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil one, who knew him intimately wrote of him, when the mail arrived at his home, and the time for the opening of the letters came, we all had to stop whatever we were doing, and get under the burden. There was nothing rushed or slipshod about his methods of dealing with these pathetic appeals for help. Everybody in the house must join in the prayers and lay hands on the handkerchiefs sent out to the suffering ones. They were treated as though the writers were present in person. Each request was dealt with separately and sincerely, and thousands of grateful people all over the world testified to the outcome of this compassionate ministry. One day the mail brought him quite a long letter from a lady who was suffering intensely from a serious disease, Her letter was full of quotations on the subject of divine healing, and showed that she knew all that she needed to know on that subject. He read the letter a time or two, and then he passed it on to me, saying, What do you think of that? He reread it, and then wrote on the bottom of the letter, Believe your own letter, apply it to your own body, like a handkerchief, and you will be healed. He sent it back to her, and a short time later he received a letter from her saying that she was perfectly whole. Chapter 11 The Challenger. There is a train that travels daily from Chicago to California that bears the name of the Challenger. The Challenger would have been an excellent name for Smith Wigglesworth. Frequently, he would begin his preaching by sending out the challenge. Are you ready? What for? Ready to believe God. Ready to catch the vision of what God has for you. Ready to enter right into God's plan for you today. For himself, he was always Wigglesworth. Every ready Paul sent a letter to the citadel of the Caesars, declaring, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, Rome. 1.15. One day Wigglesworth made a trip to the city of Rome, and he was ready to preach there. On the street he met an Italian brother who had heard him preach in California. This man took him to where the Pentecostal saints worshipped in Rome and there it was his joy to minister Christ. He later visited the city of Rome with Ammar and Mrs. Salter to hold special meetings there, and one day it was decided to pay a visit to the catacombs. A special young English-speaking priest was allocated to be their guide. They were each given a thick wax taper to light their way underground. The priest seemed to forget the rest of the party, but took a special interest in Smith Wigglesworth, who was intensely interested in all that he saw and heard. Repeatedly the priest would say to him, You would make a good Catholic. You ought to be a Catholic, and each time he would answer, I am a Catholic, but not a Roman Catholic. The priest continued this propaganda until the end of the tour, and the time came for them to ascend the steps and leave the catacombs. Then Smith Wigglesworth seized the opportunity and said to the priest, Now, you would make a good Christian if you were to get saved. Kneel down here on the floor, and I will ask God to save you. The priest was astounded, burst into a flood of tears, and knelt down. Putting his hand on the man's head, Smith Wigglesworth prayed that God would save his soul. The priest kissed his hands most fervently, and it took Smith Wigglesworth some time to get free from his embrace one day, in Cardiff in Wales, a man who had a reputation for large heartedness gathered together a large and representative group of Christian leaders, Unity and harmony were the themes of this convention, and emphasis was given to the need of the Holy Spirit and personal holiness as is the custom at many such gatherings, all the speakers dealt in general terms, none of them acute enough to hurt anyone's feelings. Everything seemed to be going very well, and the organizer beamed his satisfaction. But there was one man in that large audience, who was stirred by the thought, all these folk are missing God's best. Can I remain criminally silent? And not tell this great audience that there is a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit for every one of them like that which the disciples received on the day of Pentecost. And so that man, our courageous great heart, caused no small stir, when he arose, took off his coat, and came forward in his shirt sleeves, and from the platform sent out this challenge, If I had all you have now before I received this, what is this I have received since and in addition to all I had when I had all you have? Then he added, I was saved among the Methodists when I was about eight years of age. A little later I was confirmed by a Bishop of the Church of England. Later I was immersed as a Baptist. I had the grounding in Bible teaching among the Plymouth Brethren. I marched under the blood and fire banner of the Salvation Army, learning to win souls in the open air. I received the second blessing of sanctification and a clean heart under the teaching of Reader Harris and the Pentecostal League. I claimed the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith as I waited ten days before the Lord. But in Sunderland, in 1907, I knelt before God, and had an x 2 for experience. The Holy Spirit came, and I spoke with new tongues, as did the company in the upper room. That put my experience outside the range of argument, but inside the record of God's holy word. God gave me the Holy Spirit as He did to them at the beginning. I want harmony, unity, and oneness, but I want them in God's way. In the Acts of the Apostles, speaking with new tongues was the sign of the infilling and outflowing of the Holy Spirit, and I do not believe that God has changed His method. A tense atmosphere filled the building, and the chairman hurriedly brought the meeting to a close. But Smith Wigglesworth had sent out his challenge. He felt that the Pentecostal testimony was worth standing for, and as always he fought a good fight, a fight for the distinctive testimony of the Pentecostal believers, He felt that the Pentecostal heritage must not be bartered for a mess of pottage. Then, as always, be fearlessly contended that the full Pentecostal baptism in the Spirit is invariably accompanied by the speaking with other tongues. As the Spirit gives utterance He would constantly sound out the challenge, Live ready. If you have to get ready one opportunity comes your way, you are too late. Opportunity does not wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready, you must live ready. On the occasion of his first visit to America, he heard of a camp meeting being held in Casadero, in Northern California, and he decided to attend. When he arrived he told M.R. and Mrs. Montgomery, who had convened the camp, who he was, and the first night after several ministers had spoken, the one in charge of the meeting looked critically at Wigglesworth, as he said, Now it is your turn. Are you ready? Wigglesworth smiled, and replied, Always. Taking off his coat, he advanced to the front of the platform, and before he had been speaking many minutes he had captivated his large audience by his unique message. From that day forward, he was asked to speak every morning and every night during the remaining three weeks of the camp. For the various invited speakers said, This man has a message of faith that is outstanding, and we want to hear him. At that camp meeting invitation after invitation was given to him to command minister in various Californian cities Smith Wigglesworth would challenge his audience, all who believe in prayer, put one hand up. All who believe in praying aloud, put two hands up. Now, everybody stand up and do it, and get what your heart desires. At the commencement, this method of procedure met with a mixed reception. Some tolerated it, but others openly opposed it. In the main, people obeyed, and got much benefit. In conservative England there was not a little objection to his methods, but he was quite sure he was in harmony with the saints of the early church, who lifted up their voice to God, with one accord. He would say, this lifting up of holy hands is not something that Wigglesworth has invented. It is found in the first book of the Bible. Abraham did it. And in the last book of the Bible we may read about the angel doing it. Moses, Aaron, David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all did it. It meant all the difference between winning or losing a battle, when Moses lifted up his hands to God, against the Amalekites. In Hebrews we read, lift up the hands which hang down. In Psalm 134 the psalmist bids all the servants of the Lord, lift up your hands, in the sanctuary, and bless the Lord. Paul echoes this in item. 2, 8, where he writes, I will therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath, and bowing. In the book of Nehemiah we have an example, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So you see we can go even a bit further, and still be scriptural. At the close of his services, he would frequently round up the audience with an appeal on this wise, now, who wants to get nearer to God? Who would like a special blessing? Let everybody who is hungry for God stand on his feet. Everybody who is in real earnest, move forward. If you move forward only a foot, it will show that you mean business. If you will come right up to the front, we will pray with you and God will meet you. The people would flock to the front. He would exhort them who will lift up his hands in faith and ask God for something.